Hi, I'm Emily. Hi, I'm Matt. We're married and we live in Central Florida. And we both really like politics. I like politics so much that I have a bachelor's degree in political science from the University of Central Florida, and I'm currently a student at UCF pursuing a dual master's degree in nonprofit management and public administration. I graduated from the University of Central Florida with a degree in computer science. And through my career as a software engineer, I've experienced firsthand how technology can help people participate in politics and make their voices heard. We started dating in November of 2016, so we've had a lot of politics to talk about from the beginning. And we managed to do so civilly, kindly, and still get in bed with each other at the end of the day. Something that we've noticed other people seem to have a hard time with. Every time you get on Facebook, watch the news, or gather around the family table for dinner, you can watch conversations devolve into nasty arguments with name-calling, insult trading, and subsequent unfriending. And while it would be impossible to agree with everyone all the time about everything, we at least thought people should be able to have civil conversations. So that's what this podcast is, an attempt by us to have civil conversations focused on a wide range of political topics. Because if we can do it, so can you. We can't promise that the conversations will be filled with agreement, smiles, and butterflies, and we can't promise that we will be totally unbiased. I'm a registered Democrat. I'm a registered Republican. But we can promise you that we will be on our best behavior, be respectful of one another, and share our conversations with you. One more legal disclosure before we get started. This podcast represents our own thoughts and does not reflect in any way the views or stances of our employers, affiliated educational institutions, or any other organization we are a part of. All right, now that that's out of the way, let's get on to today's topic. All right, today we're going to be talking about voting by mail. And we know that this is a hotly contested issue. We've seen a lot of... uh, interesting information um, come from both sides of the aisle and we thought it would be very useful to share with you guys you know some of the facts about vote by mail some of the statistics about voter fraud you know is it safe should we do it and we want to do so in a way where you can make the decision for yourself whether you think this is a good idea so i'm going to ask emily some questions and she's going to answer her questions in a way that will you know fairly present this information. So I think my first question right off the bat for you is, what is the difference between vote by mail and an absentee ballot? Okay, so this is a great question to start off with. And colloquially, there's not a lot of difference and people use the two terms interchangeably. Kind of like jam and jelly. Either one is going to taste good on your peanut butter sandwich. And when used conversationally, the difference isn't huge. But if you're going to get into the weeds and have a real political debate or are making a gourmet sandwich recipe, the difference is important. So we want to make sure we define this off the bat. So the terms do mean something different. So if it gets brought up in conversation with friends or family, be sure to clarify what kind of terminology you're using. So to be precise, absentee voting refers to when a voter requests a ballot and if eligible is subsequently sent one via mail. Vote by mail refers to the process of sending every registered voter a ballot without a request. Right now, nine states and the District of Columbia use this system, with notably California, D.C., and Vermont doing this for the first time this fall during this very notable election season. Okay, so yeah, good to know. So there, there is a distinct difference. Vote by mail is when everybody gets a ballot no matter what, and an absentee ballot is something that I have to go out and request if I want one. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
So that being said, how do I how do I qualify for an absentee ballot? Do I have to be sick? Do I have to be physically unable to visit a polling place? How do I justify getting one? So this is a little different depending on where you live, but all 50 states do permit this type of voting. Some states require an excuse, like you mentioned, a physical condition that prevents you from getting to the polls or an extended leave of absence from your home state, like military service or something like that. The majority of states have a no excuse policy where voters simply need to request a ballot by completing a form and voila, you're good to go. You're going to get your ballot. Um, in the 1980s, California actually became the first state to allow eligible voters to request absentee ballots for any reason at all, just citing merely convenience. So that was a, a trend that's kind of caught on since then. And actually, in nine states, every registered voter will automatically be mailed an application to request an absentee ballot. But for the rest of the states, the option is available to you, but you will need to find and submit the form on your own. Most of the time, if you're looking for this form, your city or county supervisor of elections has the most accurate, detailed, and up-to-date information on how to do this. So if you want to know, check their website first because they'll have the best information for you specifically where you are. Right. And that's exactly how I requested my absentee ballot is I, you know, got on Google, searched Florida supervisor of elections, found my county's office, and they had a website set up to take me through the process and request a ballot. So it's super easy. Definitely, you know, just Googling your county and supervisor of elections should take you to the information that is most useful to you. Um, okay, so here's another question. Does vote by mail actually make a difference? Like, do enough people even vote by mail or send in absentee ballots for it to be worth the hassle of dealing with all of those ballots? Yeah, actually, it's interesting that you phrase it that way, worth the hassle. I was looking over some academic papers as I prepared for this podcast. It's actually a little more efficient for election administrators to uh, run mail-in operations because it cuts down on logistics and other costs associated with physical places and staff and man hours and that kind of thing. Not to say that the <laughs> voting in person is going away anytime soon. That's definitely a time-honored tradition and will probably be around for the rest of forever. Um, but vote by mail definitely has some some benefits to it. And it definitely makes a difference. Voters who cast mail-in ballots um, have increased nearly threefold between 1996 and 2016. So that jumped from like a little over 7% to nearly 21%. And this is a statistic that comes from the Pew Research Center. And they're a great resource for non-biased information. If you have questions, I would definitely uh, look over what they have because they have some great stuff. And just judging by numbers that the Pew Research Center had from 2016, which of course was the last presidential election, in states with no excuse absentee voting, roughly one in five voters cast a mail-in ballot. And that's a great increase when only 8% of voters in these states did so in 2016. So that's a fantastic jump if, well, if you're a fan of vote by mail. <laughs> Based on the reading I did, which albeit was not exhaustive, but pretty substantial, um, as researchers have been able to analyze both 2016 and 2018 election data, as you remove barriers like having to provide a document excuse, or as states have updated their systems to allow voters to request absentee ballots online, the use of absentee ballots and mail-in ballot service just trends upward and people take advantage of the system more and more. So I would definitely say it's worth the hassle and a lot more people are utilizing this kind of system to get their vote out. Right. And I imagine this year it is a very appealing option Given that we are in the middle of a pandemic, you know, we want to avoid people clumping together in big lines all day. So absentee balloting, if there were ever a year for it to be a thing, it's it's this year. But that begs the question, is it safe? Is it secure? 
surely all these letters going out all over the place, you know, is a potential for fraud. How is it more or less secure than than voting at a polling place? And do you have any like statistics about voting fraud that we can talk about? Yeah. So first off, voter fraud is not a big as issue as some politicians and clickbaity articles want you to think it is. It's not this big, bad, scary monster. Vote by mail is actually very secure, and security experts have said so. As recently as last week, the FBI director was testifying on Capitol Hill and said that there have been no national efforts coordinated to undermine ballot security. So <laughs> the leading experts in security have said so. And foreign interference and in absentee ballots is close to impossible, so you don't have to worry about Russia trying to steal your ballot. <laughs> Actually, ironically enough, and unfortunately, the most prominent cases of vote-by-mail fraud have involved campaigns, not voters. Most recently in North Carolina, they had to invalidate the results of a 2018 congressional election after the state found that a campaign operative had orchestrated a ballot fraud scheme. Oh, wow. Yeah, not great. So, but let's get into the logistics, kind of into the weeds a little bit more about what makes voting-by-mail and absentee voting secure. So for starters, voters aren't just selecting a president when they vote. Um, They will also be choosing candidates for city council, for the school board, weighing in on ballot initiatives. So that requires hundreds of different ballot designs in a single county. And the United States has more than 3,000 counties. So ballots look drastically different depending on where you are. Even though we live, say, in Orlando, somebody who lives... 30 miles from us is in a different district and might have to vote for a different congressman or maybe if they swing wide enough in a different school district. So ballots really look different for everyone. Not to mention ballots aren't counted if they aren't printed on the proper type of paper and don't include special technical markings. Think about how funky some of the standardized tests you took in school, like the ACT or the FCAT or any of those, with all those little bubbles on odd colored paper with barcodes and little textures. That's the kind of paper that ballots are printed on. And election officials, it's really obvious to them if a ballot would come back and not have all of those unique markers and identifiers. Not to mention, another layer on top of that is states also require voters to sign the outside of their envelope, which they match to a signature on file which I recently actually was made aware of how complicated this issue can be. And though it is a valid security measure and a great thing to keep in place, um, it's kind of a barrier for people. And that's where people have the most trouble is matching their signature to a signature on file. So over the past 20 years, to get into some statistics here, about 250 million votes have been cast by a mail or absentee ballot nationally. Wow. Yeah. And the Heritage Foundation, a organization that our 45th president has actually referenced, they maintain an online database of election fraud cases in the United States, and they report a little over 1,200 cases of fraud in all forms over the past 20 years. So it's a 20-year span, and we've had a little over 1,000 cases of fraud. And from those 1,000 cases, it has only resulted in over a little over 1,000 criminal convictions. Oh, so that's to say that, you know, for the 1,200 cases of fraud, 1,100 of them were criminally convicted. So, like, not only is this fraud not happening very frequently, when it does happen, these, you know, these criminals are convicted. The government is pursuing this issue and takes it very seriously. Definitely. That's how I read that. Oh, yeah. People definitely want to be able to trust that we have fair and free elections. That's what democracy relies on. So it's really important and people are really um, want to get to the, the root of those issues. 
So of those 1,200 cases of voter fraud, only 204 involved the fraudulent use of absentee ballots, which is pretty good. It's a pretty low number. So like, yeah, less than a fifth of all those cases in that 20-year period of those 250 million votes, only 200 were of the fraudulent use of absentee ballots. Yeah. And if you want to get into the weeds on a little more about the numbers here in the breakdown, um, The Hill actually wrote a great article on this kind of going into things a little bit better. And we'll make sure to link that in the show notes so you can read for yourself a little bit more what that breaks down to. Um, But just to give you an example of a state that's been using a mail system for voting, um, Oregon is one of those states and has been since the year 2000. And in those 20 years that they've been doing this, with over 50 million votes cast there, there have only been two verifiable fraud cases. So in Oregon, you're more likely to get struck by lightning than vote in an election where there has been voter fraud. So those are pretty good odds, I think. Yeah. (laughs) All that to say, it's pretty secure. You you really would have to try super hard to get in a fraudulent ballot. And if you could, election officials check those and double check those. And there's layers of security with the types of paper, the technical markings, the signature on file, making sure that they check your voter registration status. Like it's close to impossible to do this. So you really don't have to worry too much, if at all, about the security of an election when you're voting by mail. Okay, cool. So, so here's another problem. Um, what about the United States Postal Service? I've seen tons of pictures online of mail being thrown in heaps and sorting machines out in the middle of parking lots. Are they even capable of handling the quantity of ballots that people are going to be sending right now because we're in the middle of a pandemic? Uh, yeah. So, yikes. I'm not going to lie. Uh, the Postal Service has been through a lot recently, but luckily... Um, democracy is in action, and when postal workers in the community, via social media and other things, heard about what was happening, like mail sorting machines being removed and man hours being cut and all sorts of other troubling things, the alarm was sounded and elected officials responded to concerns. They summoned the new postmaster general, uh, Mr. DeJoy, to testify before Congress, and he confirmed that ballots would be treated as first-class mail to ensure that they got quickest delivery both to citizens and then back to election officials. And actually, the attorneys generals of several states banded together to kind of take the postmaster general to task and to take him through the legal system. And a judge actually um, kind of stepped in and started telling the postal service what could and could not be done. So that's ongoing. And hopefully we'll hear more about that as that court case kind of evolves. But just so you know, (laughs) elected officials are aware and we're responding and holding people accountable and states were getting in on the legal action. So no worries there. People are responsive to this issue. So your concerns will definitely be addressed. Um, Additionally, if you're worried about that, 29 states and the District of Columbia allow voters to track their ballots to ensure that they're received. Um, And 14 states and the District of Columbia also allow voters to return their ballots by hand if they don't trust the mail. And Florida is actually one of those states. And something we did actually just in this past primary was I requested my absentee ballot via mail and I sat down at home and looked at all the candidates and the issues online and was able to do a bunch of research. And then I... Closed up my ballot, signed it, made sure everything was all good, and then returned it to a polling place. And it was really great. So I would I would recommend that uh, that avenue if it's available to you. If it's uh, something that you can do in your state, I would definitely recommend it. Okay, so that's all well and good. But I have another <laughs> question. <laughs> um, I have heard that certain states have different ways of counting 
absentee ballots. And I want to know, is my vote even counted the same as if I had gone to a polling place if I vote via mail? Like, is my is my vote only opened under certain circumstances? Do they even bother with them? How do I know that my vote is counted equally as someone who went and showed up in person? Yeah, so there is some pretty unfortunate myths and rumors going around that I don't even really know the origins to, but I'm I'm glad you asked this question so we can clear that up. And I would point everyone to a resource um, that is pretty specific to your state. Um, a pretty exhaustive list has been compiled by the National Council of State Legislatures, and it lists in great detail uh, the policies that each state has regarding absentee ballots and when they can be counted and processed. And just so you know, for most of those states, absentee ballots start being processed before election day or at the very beginning of election day because officials already have those ballots. There's no need to wait around. Every ballot's going to get counted no matter how you vote or what you're doing with it. So officials will start counting those sometimes up to two weeks before, or they'll start on like, say, 7 a.m. on election day. It varies state by state, but your absentee ballot will be counted just the same. Your vote and your voice matters just as much as somebody who voted and waited in line in a polling place. Absolutely. And I will interject here because this issue actually bothered me so much. I emailed (laughs) our county supervisor of elections and asked him this question, specifically in the state of Florida. It seems like there's this rumor that absentee ballots are only opened if a race is close enough to, to warrant it. And that is a total lie. Like I have no idea where that rumor originated from. I couldn't seem to, to pinpoint where that, that came down to, but I got a reply from the county supervisor of elections saying that all votes are counted equally. And like you mentioned, here in Florida, they actually start counting those votes before, um, you know, the polling places are even open. So for anybody curious, we'll have that. I'll put that email in the show notes. You can <laughs> see for yourself that at least here in Orange County, your vote is as absolutely counted equally as if you had shown up at a polling place. Um, all right. Take it away, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. That was that was great. And that's a great resource. If you have any questions, email or call your supervisor of elections. They can give you the most up-to-date and accurate information for voting in your specific location and in your state. Um, so I do want to say um, some of the reasons I think maybe that uh, these rumors kind of swirl is because absentee ballots, because they are different from traditional vote standing in line and voting in a little booth. Um, sometimes there's some extenuating circumstances with them, but that doesn't mean that they don't get counted. Sometimes absentee ballots are counted for days after the election since they're coming from abroad. Some states have different policies where you have to receive it by election day or it has to be postmarked by election day. So this can mean that for days after the election, absentee ballots are still being counted. Additionally, absentee ballots are often a small percentage of all voted ballots. So even though it's been growing in popularity, most people still do tend to follow that traditional route where they go to their polling place and they get the little sticker and they vote in the little booth and it's really cute. Um, So many elections have a clear winner. So the absentee ballots that are still being counted in the days following an election um, really don't affect the results uh, that might be predicted as the polls are closing. So I think that's kind of where some of that confusion comes from. But rest assured, your vote gets counted, I promise. The only reason that your absentee or mail-in ballot wouldn't count is if you, the voter, did something wrong. And I'm not saying that to be harsh. I'm saying it so that people will understand what most commonly happens. And I did some research online and looked at this list that was compiled by election officials for the the reasons that votes um, get disqualified. And 
Some of the main reasons are not being received on time. So you need to make sure that you look up in your state if it has to be postmarked by election day, if it has to be back in election officials' hands by election day, whatever it is, make sure you get your ballot back on time. Make sure that you don't forget to sign the ballot envelope. That's required. It's one of those security measures that we talked about. Um, the voter sometimes, unfortunately, will send the envelope back, but forget to include the ballot inside. Ooh. So after you sign <laughs> the envelope, make sure you put your ballot in there, please. Um, also, don't use the wrong envelope. Don't think that you can just take your your vote in your ballot and mark it all up and vote for who you want and then stick it in a plain old plain Jane envelope. That's not the case. You need to send it back in, in the envelope that it came in. Also, if you get an absentee ballot and then you go vote in person and try to send your absentee ballot back in, that's not good. It's illegal to vote twice. So there are some states that will allow you to bring in your absentee ballot and say, I don't want to vote by mail anymore. Please let me vote in person. And then they can adjust things therein. But if you request an absentee ballot, then you should really follow that through so you don't run any risks because voting twice um, not good. That's a quick way to get your vote invalidated. And then the final thing that'll mess you up, which unfortunately happens to a lot of people, is when your signature on the ballot envelope doesn't match the one on file. So definitely, if you can, um, if you've renewed your driver's license recently, that's usually the signature they have on file. So maybe kind of look at that and verify. Some states in polling places, if your signature doesn't match when you're at the polling place, they'll let you try again. But you don't really have that luxury if you're filling out your ballot at home. So definitely make sure you try to match um, the closest signature you have to the last government-issued ID or document that you did, because that's probably the one that's on file. And if you have any questions about the signature on file or what you need to do or how you can be aware of that, contact your county or city supervisor of elections because they can help you because these things do differ county by county, even city by city. So just reach out to them. Chances are they have a Facebook page or an email or a phone number you can call and they are more than happy to help you out with that. Yeah, and I remember we were on a Zoom call and... Um, I think it was for the League of Women Voters, but the <laughs> supervisor of elections is actually there. And, and he was asked this question is like, how can you make sure your signature matches? And he said the best way to do it is look at your driver's license. And that is the signature that they probably have on file. Um, so try and, and match that one if you have no idea what, what signature they could possibly use. Um, okay, so it's the information age. We have the internet. Why can't I vote online? Why isn't that a thing yet? Yeah, I totally understand. And especially given the fact that we're in the middle of a global pandemic, voting online sounds pretty great. Um, but it's cybersecurity concerns, mostly. Uh, experts just haven't been able to find a way that is 100% secure. And who knows if we ever will. Uh, but some states have experimented with voting online, and they've kind of gotten mixed results. Actually, in February, MIT reported finding severe security flaws in the online election system Votes. It's V-O-A-T-Z, if Votes. you want to Google that. Um, and that company ran West Virginia's first mobile election. But they found that uh, that voting system allowed the hacker to alter, stop, or expose a user's vote. Oh, wow. Definitely big security concerns. Um, and then later, MIT, in partnership with the University of Michigan, also revealed security concerns about another online system. This one's called OmniBallot. Um, and Delaware actually had used that system for their online voting options. So states are definitely looking into this, trying to explore this as a possibility, and even implementing it. 
Uh, <laughs> but there are some big holes and some big problems. Um, I would definitely recommend if you want to learn more about it. Politico actually put out a great article that goes way more in depth and was obviously written by someone with uh, more savvy computer knowledge than I have. And I would totally recommend it. And I will make sure we put it in the show notes. But, you know, don't be dismayed. We did put a man on the moon and I have leggings with pockets in them. So (laughs) I really believe that anything can happen. And to be fair, some countries actually make it work. They're just a lot smaller than us. So I imagine that helps a little bit. Um, ironically enough, Estonia has been voting online for the past 15 years and it works great for them. All right. Go Estonia. I know. Cool. Okay. All right. Second to last question. Ah. What stops people from voting with my ballot? Like if someone isn't who they say they are, is it easier? For example, if you, Emily, wanted to steal my ballot, isn't that a concern? You know, sending these ballots out to households that maybe have more than one person in them or... Is somebody going to come into my mailbox and take my ballot and vote for me? Is that a possibility? Oh, good grief. Um, (laughs) I think it would take one dedicated criminal to focus on getting a singular voter's ballot and then making it plausible and making that that scheme work. States usually have applications for mail-in and vote-by-mail ballots that require various forms of government-issued ID require accurate personal information like your address, your social security number, and require you to complete the application process either through a secure online portal or on paper where your signature can be verified and then mailed back to election officials. And this has to happen several weeks before ballots are even mailed, which then happens several weeks before the election. So this process is quite intensive and rather arduous. So far, I don't think any bad actors have seen this as an efficient way to influence the election. As for spouses, um, that's pretty tricky. And if your spouse is trying to steal your ballot, that probably points to bigger issues and you should get that resolved. Um, We're not going to get into that today, but I would uh, definitely recommend working on that if you think that's going to be a problem. But if anything, uh, if you were to be worried about a bad actor in an election, I would be more worried about the stuff that Russian bots are posting on Facebook and biased news media coverage that only gives you one side of the story. That is a way more efficient way for bad apples to try and influence the minds of voters. So just be cognizant of the media you're consuming and fact check and be be aware of fake news. So that is definitely way more of a prominent threat, I think, to our democracy and electoral process than some bad actor deciding that he's going to steal Matthew Winchester's mail-in ballot. Mm. (laughs) All right. Okay, so my last question for you is one of kind of I think like an ethical duty so so don't I as a citizen of the United States have a civic duty to stand in line at a polling place like isn't there something symbolic in that that I'm taking time out of my day to go present myself and make sure that my vote is counted in person So (laughs) we define civic duty very differently. What is important is that you vote. It doesn't matter how. If you vote early, you vote in person, vote via absentee ballot. It doesn't matter. Every vote is going to get counted. You need your voice to be heard and you need to vote. Just participate in democracy. Let your voice be heard. Exercise those rights and tell your friends and family to do the same. Make a day of it. Like (laughs) get a plan together. Figure out where your polling place is. Figure out what time you're going to do. Maybe treat yourself to a nice lunch afterwards. Like have a plan. Make sure you're 
registered. Make sure you know where you're going to go and make sure you exercise those rights because they're really important and it helps determine who gets to lead this country and who gets to lead your state government and your local government and all these things that impact you and your fellow citizens on a daily basis. So voting is really the foundation of our democracy and I think it's super important and we live in a country that value citizens' voices and inputs. So don't let anybody dissuade you from voting. I will admit, I I felt some pretty strong feelings after watching Tuesday night's debate. And no matter how you felt about it, no matter what candidate came out on top to you, don't let it dissuade you from voting. It is so important that your voice is heard and that you get to participate and exercise those rights and show that they're important to you. We live in a country where First Amendment rights and the right to speech are so important. And one of my favorite Supreme Court cases is Texas v. Johnson, which gives people um, the right to burn the American flag as covered by their First Amendment rights. And I think that's so important. We live in a country where if you are incensed enough and if you are mad enough about an issue, you can burn our country's flag, a symbol of who we are to showcase your outrage. That's the world that we live in. That's the democracy that we all participate in. And if you don't use your voice and you don't exercise those rights that so many people fought so hard for, then what, what are you doing? Don't throw that away. That's such a gift that so many people around the world don't have. And we do have as Americans. And I think it's so important. So if you take nothing else from this very long podcast, um, vote. Please, 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 please vote. Please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. I. Yeah, thank you. That was an amazing answer. And I, I agree. You have the right to vote. So please vote. Make sure that your voice is, is heard. Um, something that I say a lot is, you know, when it comes to voting, it's either put up or shut up. If you're going to complain on Facebook about our country, you have an obligation, if you are able to, to vote and, and make sure that your voice is heard in a meaningful way. So yeah, I, I second everything Emily just said. It's very important. And no matter how you choose to vote, it's important to do so. So with that, I think that wraps up our, our first podcast. Um, we each have one last little spiel to give. So ladies first, ladies first. <laughs> yeah. So I just wanted to mention that um, I did do not a significant amount, but a pretty decent amount of research before we did this, just because I wanted to make sure I gave out the most factual and correct and up-to-date information even though it seems like in 2020, things are always changing. Um, but we will record links to all of the articles um, and resources that I referenced in the show notes for this episode. So if you have any questions about anything that I said or anything that I cited, please feel free to fact check me and go back and reference those articles. And I also made sure to include in those show notes um, a link to an interactive media bias chart. Ooh. And... <laughs> I won't uh, say anything too polarizing here, but if you have questions or concerns about uh, the media news that you're consuming and what may be quote unquote fake news or what may be only telling you one side of the story, then this comes from a nonpartisan organization that works to research um, what kind of facts media puts out and what different outlets say and how truthful they are. And so you can go and see exactly where um, the news organizations fall in comparison to others and see who has the tendency to be left-leaning or right-leaning or who has the tendency to be a little bit more in the center and a little more even keel. So I would definitely recommend that you utilize utilize that chart, see where your media comes from and how it kind of can impact maybe your worldview, and then definitely take a look at the sources that we've cited in the show notes and then use that media chart to take all that information as you will. I definitely don't want people to just swallow this show blindly and accept everything we've said. Please fact check me. Please do your own research. Please be an informed voter. And please, 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 please vote. 
Excellent. So the last thing I wanted to say is that if you have any questions about elections or the political process in America, you know, if you have any questions about all the things that are going on right now, please reach out to us. We would be happy to research it and um, and make a make a show of it. We want to help inform people. And, and our biggest goal in, in all of this is to just present factual information to people so they can make the best decisions for themselves. So if you have any questions about absentee balloting that we didn't address or any other process of the coming election, there's contact information on our website. You can send us an email or, you know, um, hopefully we'll have some sort of social media presence accompanying this. Feel free to reach out. And I think that's all we have for now. Thank you very much for, for listening. Yeah. Thanks so much. Goodbye. Bye.